Hi, and welcome to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin. Today for episode 328, we're talking about the rise of Bitcoin nomadism. And my guest is Rigel, and you might know him online as NZ. Now, this is a topic that has been quite relevant for me, having to flee the gulag of Australia. So I thought... This was definitely a topic that has become a lot more prominent in the minds of people out there. They're looking and thinking about options. So how should we think about it? What are the benefits of this approach? How do you get started? And is this only for single people or can people do this with a family or with a partner? And how do you get set up in a new location? And what are some of the downsides and costs of this lifestyle? I talk about this with Rigel. This show is brought to you by Swan. Now, swan.com is the easy way to accumulate Bitcoin and it's available internationally. All you have to do is sign up with swan.com and you will wire USD in instead of the ACH pool functionality. And with Swan, the focus is on education. There are various free resources made available, whether that's the Swan Signal podcast, whether that is free books like Jan Pritzker's book, Inventing Bitcoin. You can start off with Swan, you can start off with a lump sum purchase and then set up your Bitcoin savings plan. And on the front page of the website, swan.com, you can see a savings plan calculator. So for example, if you had put in $100 a week for five years, how much would you have put in and how much would you have now in fiat terms, in terms of Bitcoin that you had stacked? So go and sign up at swan.com. This show also brought to you by Brains. That's Brains with two eyes. Brains are a Bitcoin company known for their work in the Bitcoin mining industry. They offer Brains OS Plus, which is firmware for your ASIC mining machine. They are also the operators of Slushpool, which was the first mining pool. And they are also driving adoption of Stratum V2, the next generation pooled mining protocol. So with Brains, they've got a really strong Bitcoin only focus. They're really principled and they're a great team. I really like working with these guys. Their team is growing and they are hiring as well. So if you're a Rust developer, systems programmer, hardware architect, go and check them out. They've got a careers page on their website. And otherwise, go and sign up. Go and use their software and sign up with Slushpool. If you are using Brains OS Plus firmware, you actually also get 0% pool fees when you're using Slushpool. So that website is brains with two eyes, brains.com. Are you looking to get started with Bitcoin mining? Compass Mining can make it easy for you to do this without advanced technical knowledge. So compassmining.io is the website and they've got all sorts of material there. They've got podcasts and articles and a newsletter also with all kinds of content to teach you about Bitcoin mining and keep you up to date. So with Compass Mining, you can select an ASIC machine, have that sent to a facility and have it plugged in and turned on. You pay the hosting fees and then you receive SATs and you can even select which pool you want to participate and point your hash rate towards. So this is an easy way to get started, to source a machine and to get reasonable power rates compared to what we might be paying in our home residential rates. Also, you can have a compass mining machine sent to your home in the US if you wish to do compass at home mining. So that website is compassmining.io. And now on to the show with Rigel. Rigel, welcome back to the show. Thanks, man. It's good to be back. Uh, it's an honor to be on the Stefan Lavera podcast once again. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, uh, I am just excited to chat about this because it's something that I have been doing and thinking about for myself also. And so we're talking today, we've got this theme of the rise of Bitcoin nomadism. 
and Bitcoin nomads. So this is something I know you're obviously very passionate about as well. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got into this idea? Sure. So, I mean, I'm someone that's wanted to do the kind of digital nomad, travel the world, um, work online sort of thing for some time. But um, my background was, you know, I was police for 10 years and then I was working in adult education. And I just never quite found a way or, you know, could figure out a way where I could kind of do this online. You know, I just didn't have the, the right sort of vocation. I did have like a, a dabble with um, like affiliate marketing quite a while ago, uh, you know, probably about 10 years ago now, right uh, when, um, you know, AdWords and PPC and stuff like that was, was just taking off and it was a relatively new thing, but I just never quite got enough traction to make it, um, you know, like my full-time thing where I could rely on it. So I'd been looking for, for how to do this for a while and then I got into, um, yeah, uh, decided to get into software just so I could, you know, work more full-time on Bitcoin. Um, and so, um, I, uh, had a relationship breakup with my girlfriend at the time and, and I was living in New Zealand at the time and just kind of really felt like I hit the glass ceiling there. And, uh, you know, I was really unhappy and, you know, I was really starting to think, well, my, my mental health is not going in a good direction if I'm staying here. I really need to, to get out. So, uh, at the time I had managed to, uh, start working for a, um, a, uh, exchange at home just one day a week. I had my regular kind of teaching job for four days and I had one day off and, um, they were wanting some, some help with what they're doing and so I started working there kind of more just out of passion and interest than it necessarily being a career but um, the, this was uh, 2019 uh, when I was talking about it after I'd had the relationship break up and, and it got to the point where I was like man I've just really got to get out of the country otherwise I'm, I'm just not going to a good space and, and I didn't know how I was going to do it or what I was going to do you know I figured I was going to have to just quit my job and do it but it, there was a point of I need to really do this otherwise I, I just don't see my life going in a good direction so I, I quit my regular job and I told the exchange like hey you know I'm um, gonna do this like uh, I've got a friend uh, luckily I had a sort of mention actually uh, I made a friend of mine we had a lot of um, similar interests from both having uh, connections in the music world and uh, my friend um, he was a uh, 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 nomading in Bali at the time and also a Bitcoiner working at a bazaar and stuff so I, uh, you know I started asking him about what's it like in Bali and that's a place which I'd always had like a soft spot from my heart and you know he was saying it's great and I was kind of picking his brain a little bit about the lifestyle and eventually I came to the decision, okay, I'm just going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to make it work. If I have to sell some Bitcoin to do it, so be it. You know, I just, it's, it's really kind of make it or break it for me um, to do it. So I quit my other job. I sent to the exchange I was working at, okay, um, this is what I'm going to do. I need to do it. I really appreciate the, the uh, opportunity you've given me, but, um, you know, I've got to go through it. If you're not happy for me to work remote, I totally understand. That's fine. But, if, you know, if you would have me remote, I'd love to keep working for you guys. And uh, fortunately, they said, yeah, sure. And, and a one day a week thing ended up turning into uh, something kind of full time. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I just took the, took the dive and then, uh, moved to, to Bali. Uh, and this was kind of mid 2019. And I was living there and working there and really loving it, waking up almost every day thinking, you know, pinching myself that this is real. Uh, and then, of course, COVID happened. Um, and initially, I got um, kind of, uh, my parents lived in Perth, and they were really freaking out about it. So I kind of flew over to, to, to be with them because, uh, you know, kind of anticipated what was going to happen. The borders were going to close. And, you know, if this was going to be the serious thing that we all thought it was going to be when it first hit, then, you know, I wasn't really happy with uh, the potential that they might be in hospital and not be able to get to them. 
So anyway, after a couple of months, it was clear that that wasn't the way it was going to go. And um, I was kind of trapped in Australia and, and didn't want to end up like Australian citizens were. They couldn't leave the country. So uh, as soon as the borders reopened in uh, June, I had the plans to uh, go to Greece. And I went there for about a month and a half, hoping that uh, Bali was going to reopen. That was the plan. I was just going to go back to where I was uh, living there. That didn't happen. So then I went to Mexico and uh, I've lived in Mexico ever since then. So kind of late um, 2020. And that materialized into me um, getting residency here and also in Panama where I've spent some time also in El Salvador as well. Um, so yeah, now I've been kind of working uh, remote as a, uh, a Bitcoin nomad, if you like, for about uh, just over two years now. Yeah, that's fantastic. And so this is one of those things where pre the hysteria, I think it was it was still growing, but I think the hysteria has perhaps magnified the reason to even look at these things. At least that was my perspective. Obviously, I was trapped inside Gulag, Australia. And so for me, it, it, it was partly a necessity. It was like, I have to get out because I, you know, my, my business and my career and all this stuff is outside of Australia. And so I think it's important to talk about reasons for why, because for some people, it'll just be like, no, I've got my family here, I've got my everything here, and I'm not moving. I don't, I have no interest to move. But I think for people who are willing to sort of take that step, then there can be some pretty cool benefits to doing this and living like this. Of course, there are some costs too. So we're going to talk about the fair, you know, the upsides and the downsides. But in your view, what are some of the main upsides of living more in a Bitcoin nomad way? Well, I mean, there's some some obvious ones that like everyone knows and everyone's heard, right? You know, so there's cost of living where you might be able to move to a, to a country or a place depending on where you are, of course. But, you know, for most people that are in a Western country, you can move to somewhere where the cost of living as far as housing, food, and the basic necessities that you spend just to get by are dramatically lower than what you, you spend at home. So so there's that one there that, you know, you can be living in a, perhaps that means that you can be living in a nicer house and eating better or living a higher quality of life for less money or the same amount of money that you're spending uh, wherever you are. So that, that's one of them. Another one is obviously to, you know, travel and experience the world and, and things, so, you know, where... Uh, we've all got a list of places that we want to visit, but you know, if you're in a traditional uh, kind of working environment and you get two to four weeks off um, a year, if that, then you know, it's quite hard to squeeze all the stuff in. But if you're um, kind of nomading, you know, you can work while you're traveling, and and it's not exactly the same as being on holiday. But I mean, you can experience these places and have all the time in the world if you like to, to check them out. So there's there's that to experience the world. Uh, another one is, you know, like to, to kind of live your, your, your dream life, your ideal location. I mean, some people are a big fan of the beach. Other people, you know, like to do things like snowboarding or live in the mountains or uh, maybe they've got some particular hobby that, you know, is um, better suited to a particular climate or area. Um, and, you know, you can have that lifestyle where you can do these things or, you know, if your dream lifestyle is to, I don't know, wake up and, and see the ocean first thing in the morning and be able to do yoga and, you know, not have to wear jeans or pants ever again in your life, you know, and just in shorts, you know, you can choose a, a location that gives you those sort of things, right? So they're the obvious ones that everyone knows and they're, they're certainly good. But uh, to me, the, the real value of this uh, is two things primarily. The first one is the value is the network networks of people that you will connect with. 
Um, so, you know, particularly, this was particularly strong when I was living in Bali before this went down. Uh, and that's a place where, um, you know, some people are a fan and some are not. But for a lot of people that have done the nomad thing for a while, that's the best place in the world to live. It's just, there's nothing else that compares to it, right? And so in, in Bali, you'll find some people, um, you know, when you get out and you socialize, you get to network a bit with some of the expats there that are just incredibly talented people. Some of the, you know, smartest people at doing whatever it is that they do and they've decided that they you know want to have this slightly more bohemian or, or a nomadic lifestyle and they can be anywhere in the world they want to be uh they've you know got the money they've got their own business they're doing whatever they're doing and they've chosen to be in this one place and so just the the virtue of a the type of uh, a class individual that has the choice to be anywhere and is where exactly they want to be Meeting and networking with those people is super valuable. Not not just the connections or the you know the, the the friends that you can make, but also just the the nature of people. Where you know there's in Bali, for example, there's there was no one living there that was there, but that didn't want to be there, right? That was stuck there because ah, oh, I hate this town, but you know, my job's here or married or whatever. Anyone that's that's there was there because they wanted to be, and the moment they weren't, they're they're on a flight to to where they want to be, right? So, you know, it, the, the, the quality of individual that you meet there and, and the people that you interact with is just, to my mind, a whole different class of, of what you'll get in a, in a regular Western city. Everyone is super happy, super nice, very appreciative and grateful for the life that they have. And that just um, blends into everything, you know, the, 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 the nightlife, the, the social life that you have, the, how easy it is to make friends and interact with people and the quality of those people that you're interacting with. Um, and, you know, the sort of people that are that geographically uh, mobile and have that kind of ability to um, choose the lifestyle that they have are, are generally very smart, talented, well-connected people. And, you know, I've certainly come to the conclusion like that. That's, that's the people I want to be my friends. These are the people I want to spend my time with. You know, they are the people that not only add significant value to my life through the, the connections and the information that they can share for me. They're just better people to be around and they're the sort of people that I want to surround myself with because that energy is infectious and it rubs onto me and it has this kind of um, snowball effect. So, you know, I, I think that is, is a humongous one about the connection with those sort of people and, and being having that energy in your life. And, you know, there's that old adage of like, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, making those people the highest quality people that, that you can get. And, and I think this is where you will find, obviously, you know, there are other particular breed the sort of people that aren't um, tied to one place or they like to move around and you know generally they've got a specific more specific set of interests but um, you know it's, it's a high quality demographic if I was to be that um, Machiavellian and scientific about the way I chose my friends or whatever it's just a, a better group of people to to associate with and uh, the networks that they can provide as far as um, the knowledge and connections. The second most valuable one, I think, is is the ability of developing the skill of being able to start from zero in a consistently reproducible manner. So most, I think most people would agree, and I certainly have fell into this trap, that many times in your life you've been in a, in a place or a situation where you know you don't want to be here. It's not ideal. Um, you can envision a better life, but you're you're just afraid of moving and starting again. And your your mind is consumed about how difficult it is. Where would I find this? Where would I whatever? Um, now I've done this six times. You know, I have a system in my head where I know exactly where to go and what to do and what to look for and and how to find my feet in a new place. And that's an incredibly empowering skill to have 
just in general, but especially in the world that we're in now, where, you know, tomorrow or within a very short space of time, you can find that, you know, all of a sudden you can't leave your house or, you know, you can't go out to a bar, you can't do all these sort of things. And for most people, they don't have the ability to just say, well, this is bullshit, I'm going somewhere else. Uh, you know, they've got things that tie them to some place and they don't know where to start, they don't have the system. Whereas for someone like myself, as soon as that happens, I'm like, well, I'm on a plane to wherever that is not happening and I've got the full confidence of, I know that, give it a 30 days, I'll be back on my feet and more or less at the same speed I was at wherever I was. And just having that confidence and that skill set is an incredibly powerful, uh, empowering thing to have in your life, not just for the momentum of uh, your personal productivity and keeping things going, but for your own mental health and well-being, the sense that you're not um, at the mercy of all these other things and you can be the master of your own destiny is, again, just an incredibly powerful tool to have. And I think going forward, that's only going to get more and more powerful. So so outside of the, you know, like the, the tropical beach with the laptop sort of lifestyle that I'm sure we all have dreamed of and seen and looked at, those two things I think are the primary reasons that everyone should really consider doing this because they are just superpowers in the world where we are going. And I think that the networks of people that have these skills and you personally having that skill are two incredibly powerful things, uh, important things for you to invest in in the future. Yeah, really interesting stuff. And it's actually for different reasons than I'm pursuing it in some ways because, I mean, I, it's related, but for me, the the drive and push of doing overseas stuff was more about actually achieving more freedom and perhaps lower taxes. Uh, but Certainly, I think that plays into what you were saying as well around being able to set up somewhere and start somewhere. And so I guess then it's also important to distinguish between, let's say, just going, picking up everything out of one place and moving and setting down in a new place. Well, then that's really more like just being an expat, right? As opposed to sort of using a bit more of a nomad-ish approach. I mean, it's not necessarily fully nomad. You might have a few bases or places that you regularly go back to, but how would you distinguish that then like the people you met in your travels the expats let's say versus the more nomad type yeah i mean i think that is a a, a very valid and important distinction to make right um so where i am in mexico at the moment there there is a very diff um distinguishable different kind of crowd about and obviously they cross over and and the kind of biggest crossover is generally that they're, they're foreigners and and usually they they speak english as their first language or things like that so there's a reason that you know these two groups will naturally kind of cross over and come together the, the difference i would i would say is is that um like expats tend to be obviously um, more or less living a, a regular life as you know most people would understand it just solely in a, in a different country than perhaps they were they were born or um, that they started out in so those people generally have a, a much more um, uh, geographically uh, specific if you would like um, life uh, in, in one particular spot whereas nomads tend to float around a bit more and uh, as you said um, you know particularly now in the current environment where travel is a, is a bit harder and and a little bit more uncertain i think it makes more sense to to really you know to to focus on one two three places in a year and and stick to those but uh um that is a different very different kettle of fish than uh what i described with the expats where more or less you know they're they're like uh people living somewhere at um at home in whatever country you're from they're just living in a different spot so they don't quite have the agility or freedom that you might have uh, that i just descri- described before about the ability to kind of uproot and go somewhere else and i also find find that the lifestyle is kind of different like it's something um maybe i'll, I'll talk about a little bit more later but uh i i kind of feel and maybe the 
this is my personal bias, and some people might think differently, that just generally nomads are, are a slightly better crowd to, to associate with in that um, they they tend to be more entrepreneurial and they're getting things done and, they're, and they've developed a lifestyle and the ambition to be able to live this way, whereas expats um, often, uh, sometimes they're running a business here, sometimes they're living on old money, sometimes they're doing whatever. But, but generally I find, you know, there's a, there's a lot more the sort of people that like to go out and party and, and just, you know, kind of live that kind of... Uh, high life lifestyle rather than nomads tend to be a bit more focused on hustle and getting work done and having a real kind of entrepreneurial drive and and again for the reasons I kind of talked about before they're more the sort of people that I would I personally would like to spend my time with and and that's how I'd like to um to have my social life arranged around uh, this the, the secondary rather than the former so so it's a bit of a different crowd uh, there is a bit of crossover but um I think the nomad thing particularly for the reasons of networking like I said before they're the, the the people that the crowd that you more want to work with because generally they're just more on the same page as you if you are someone that's trying to be location independent would you say nomadism is only a single guy or single girl's game and once you are married or once you have children, it's impossible? Or how would you, I'm sure that's a common question, how do you respond to that? Certainly not. I mean, there's definitely a lot of people I know who are couples that are doing this together um, and certainly a lot of people that are doing this with families, particularly post-COVID. Um it, for sure, obviously, it makes things more complicated, right? Like planning travel of any nature with more than one person is going to throw some extra spanners in the works. It does make it easier, though, too. You know, like one of the hardest things I would say for me being a single guy traveling to new places, you land there, you don't know anyone generally, or if you're lucky, you might have a friend who's already there or something that's able to connect you up. But, you know, the hardest thing is that you land there and you don't really know anyone. And it can be uh, a little hard to... Um, connect with people and can be a little lonely, right? Uh, whereas, you know, if you've got a family or, or a partner, that obviously that problem is solved. Um, so really, you know, I think the main thing is to have, particularly when it comes to the partner, you know, someone that's supportive of what you're trying to do and is on the same page and is after the same sort of things um, and has similar interests where, you know, if they're loving snowy mountains and snowboarding and you're wanting to surf in the tropics obviously there's going to be a bit of friction but you know finding that common ground and that kind of system where you can uh, see to eye to eye or reach a, a sufficient compromise where it works i think is something where i've seen that uh, most people manage to realize well there's more more to win than to be lost if we can figure out a way to get a system like that but um with children as well you know it's, it's one area where, where i'm not like obviously a, a super expert but i know plenty of people that do make it work and generally traditionally it's it's a lot of homeschooling but you can uh if you structure things correctly you can also just have a more traditional schooling environment um based on where you're going and, and the options that might be there but the other thing is that there are a lot of um couples and and people in the same boat as you and again this is just another reason why i really want to emphasize the importance and the power of networking is that not only are these people potentially going to point you in the direction of some solutions or places or, or systems that might work but you can often help each other out where you know you might need a reason to get away from the kids for a certain amount of time they can take care of them and you know then they can you can return the favor to them or they can return the favor to you so it's certainly not um impossible it does have its particular complications and quirks but there's plenty of people that are out there doing it, it just requires you know most importantly that you're on the same page and you you like any relationship right you know you, you figure out some some equilibrium and some balance on certain issues where there might be a, a bit of friction or you don't see perfectly or eye to eye um, but it is totally possible 
Yeah, interesting stuff. And so for people who are thinking about how to get started, they might be thinking about locations, right? So it's kind of, you know, if we had been speaking 20 or 30 years ago, people might have had this advice. They might have said, look, if you want to do, if you want to be an actor, you've got to go to Hollywood. If you want to be in finance, you've got to go to the finance hubs like New York and London and Chicago. If you want to, you know, there are there's like a place that you go to do a certain thing. Whereas now with nomadism, it's more just like all around the world. That said, though, there are certain well-known hubs, right? So as you mentioned, Bali is one in Indonesia. Chiang Mai in Thailand is another well-known one. Mexico, places like Playa del Carmen, uh, arguably places like Medellin in Colombia and maybe Lisbon in Portugal. Those are probably some of the well-known digital nomad hotspots, wouldn't you say? So how would you think about that aspect of it, locations and thinking about planning that? Cool. So what I will do is I'll kind of run through the, the steps that I would go if I was uh, assessing moving to a new place, right? I've decided I'm, I'm going to move on and, and I want to find out where that is. And I haven't got, you know, already pre-decided where that is. I'm, I'm looking around, right? So these are the steps that I would take. So the first place I would go to is three websites, Nomadlist, Numbio, and Expatistan. So I'll talk about the last two first and then the first one. So the last two, Numbio and Expatistan, they do the same thing. And these are places for you to look at a basic cost of living. And they're not super accurate. Uh, You know, they can be a little off, but they'll give you a good enough wet finger indication of kind of what you're looking at budget-wise in some of these places. And that can be hard to tell if you're looking, particularly if you haven't traveled to where you're going or, you know, this is a new thing to you about what am I actually looking for for rents food, et cetera, et cetera, in this place. And they'll give you a relatively accurate, you know, rough indication of kind of what the cost of living is. And on those sites, you can compare, you know, a city. So you can put your city versus that city and it'll give you like a percentage, you know, so it's 60% cheaper or 30% more expensive to live in X versus Y. So they're a good place to get the, some of the things about numbers. And that's kind of what you want to do because obviously you want to make sure you got your budget right before you take off. Uh, now, Nomad List is probably the first place that I would go to, to look at one of these options are. And anyone that's not familiar with what Nomad List is, it's a really, really amazing site where basically they uh, have a ton of cities all around the world. You can prick almost any country in existence and um, you can get some really good information and quite accurate information about what life is like there as an expat and as a nomad. So things like the cost of living, Wi-Fi speed, freedom of speech, acceptance of LGBT if you're of that particular um, persuasion, um, the infrastructure, the average temperature, the, I can't remember the top of all of them now, but like really some really detailed and, and quite accurate metrics about what life is like there. You also can get some reviews uh, on there um, from people who have been there and there's quite a surprising amount of detail about that just of some indications about what it's like you know i thought it sucked i thought it was great go to look for this area these sort of people are there or whatever it might be so generally you, you know you'll probably if you're listening to this and you're considering you've probably got some country or place that you've wanted to go to or that's your particular flavor i would recommend you go to nomad list and look at that country and the cities that are listed on nomad list are generally the ones that you do want to go and check out and you might be surprised as to what some of those cities are versus what you might think and also, they have a list. Uh, I, it, it's interesting at the moment because obviously it changes quite rapidly. And I was actually just looking at Nomad List's uh, top. Um, well, they've just got like the list from one to 
the however many cities have got. But you know, looking at their top fifty at the moment, and it's it's I would say probably a little bit out of whack given what's happened with COVID in the last <laughs> couple of weeks. But it is a, a, a interesting and and not a bad indication about what places are good and what places are you know hot and not at the moment. And and um, it, you, know, you might be surprised about some places that you haven't considered that if you jump on Nomad List, you can have a look around and see what's there. So so I got a Nomad List and Numbio and Expedistan and look at like roughly what country and city am I going to and how much am I looking to pay. Now once I've got that, the next thing I go to is a website called canitravel.net uh, and there solely because of the situation with COVID at the moment, it's quite unclear and hard to get your head around, you know, can you go to the place? What do you need? Do you need a test? Do you need to be vaccinated? Do you, you know, blah, blah, blah. what's the restrictions there? That's probably about the best site at the moment to get a dial on what's required there. So, so look at that and get your head around. Okay, so if I'm going to fly to this place, what hoops do I have to jump through to, to get there? Uh, I'd also jump on Wikipedia and check out what is the length of the tourist visa that's available in that particular country. And that can vary based on what your passport is and uh, a number of other factors. But you want to make sure that you've got some idea of how long you can legally be in the country um, for. So that's the next thing I'd look at. So once you've got that, you've got probably got an idea about where you're going and uh, uh, what you need to get there and roughly how long you can stay there. So the next thing I do is now you've got a city in, in line, I would start looking at co-working spaces. And for me, co-working spaces are the... Um, uh, the bread and butter, the most integral part of doing this lifestyle. And the reason is, is that generally, uh, if you have a co-working space, and for anyone that doesn't know what that means, it's basically like a, an office space where you can come and park a laptop and you guarantee good internet, you can get power, and generally you'll find a bunch of other digital nomads there who want to have somewhere that, that where they can reliably work. Now, you might be thinking, well, why would I pay for a space like this when I can just work from my um, hotel or my house or whatever it might be? And, and a lot of people, when they start doing that, have that attitude, myself included. Uh, but my friends um, who uh, was living in Bali, who helped um, kind of show me the ropes about a lot of this stuff, he really encouraged me to go onto a co-working space. And I really understood it because I, I you know, I tried not working from a co-work space just at my, in my hotel for, I think, two weeks. And I just found that the mental headspace that you get into can get really weird and really funky. And uh, not everyone is like this, but I think more people than you would think are like this is just you have, you get some sort of psychological benefit of being around other people. So there's that uh, and the you know, reliable internet. But probably the most important thing is, as I was talking about before, is the networking. Is that people that are serious about what they're doing will pay for co-working. Most, uh, most people uh, aren't going to be, uh, not everyone, but most people aren't going to be working um, at least every day from their house. They are going to be working from co-working at least one or two days a week. So if you want to connect with other like-minded entrepreneurial people, co-working is a really good place to meet them and to, to congregate and, and to get into touch with those other people. And if you've just landed in a new city, I think it's one of the best places to, to make friends and to, to contact with people that are like-minded sort of space. Also, if there is a co-working space in the uh, the city, it's a pretty good indicator that enough nomads have identified that this is a desirable location and frequent it often enough that there's enough clientele to sustain the business. And that in itself says that this town has been pre-selected as a desirable location for at least a certain amount of uh, people that live in this lifestyle. So for all those reasons, I think co-working is uh, that what I would be looking for. And it's kind of like, to me, uh, uh, not a red flag, like a green 
green flag of like, this is where I want to be if there's good co-working. So once uh, once you've got some co-working, another thing that I look for, which is kind of of a similar for a similar reason, is there's a hostel or upmarket hostel chain called Selena, which um, some people may or may not be familiar with. So jump online and have a look at the Selena.com. Um, and Selena is, if I'm going to New City, um, I always start out at Selena. Um, so Selena is, it's, it's an interesting uh, kind of hotel, uh, hostel uh, setup in that you have all the way from like the bunk bed, eight to 12 people in a room thing, all the way up to some very nice family rooms with like a, a separate lounge and a kitchen and TV and a balcony and everything like that, right? So it's a pretty wide range of the accommodation that you can get there. And you can go from everything to like really, you know, um, uh, bare bonesing it to some really, you know, rather, rather sort of classy living. But they also always have a really nice, uh, a decent restaurant, a nice bar area, a lot of social events and good co-working. So it's uh, not only is it a good place to network with people, to find your feet and um, to kind of... Um, get in touch with people that are living a similar lifestyle to you but also um, it's just uh, I, I find if there is a Selena in a town once again like the co-working it's a very good indicator to me that this is a desirable place and this is probably a good space that I want to go to where I'm going to have a good experience um, nomading so Selena is one that I would definitely check out and uh, I would recommend um, what I always do is book two to two to three weeks in Selena in a new space just while I'm getting my feet and standing out there uh, so you're, you're back Backup, uh, if that doesn't go through, is AirbnbCheapAir.com. I, I like to use that for hotels or Booking.com, uh, those sort of places, and try and get a, a um, an Airbnb or whatever for that same amount of time, two or, two or three weeks. And uh, uh, just be wary with uh, with all of those there that um, you, you're probably going to pay a, a much higher price than you need to pay. Um, if you are booking an Airbnb or something like that. Like say, for example, here in Mexico, uh, in Mexico City, I believe, there is a 40% tax put on Airbnbs. And so what you'll get the impression, if you're looking at Airbnb and you're thinking this is the cost of living there, you're getting a much higher inflated price than what you'll get if you're able to get in the ground, spend that two weeks there looking to find something slightly more long-term and rent it out and you're going to get a much better deal. So once you've looked, you know, you've found a co-working space or you found something like that and you've got some uh, accommodation booked there or at booking.com or Airbnb or whatever, then then you'll be moving on to the next step, which is uh, trying to find some networks. So really your plan once you get there is, um, look, I, I think that it's going to take you, my golden rule is 30 days to, to really get your feet, uh, find your feet in a new place. I've done this again like six times now and every time the first month, it's kind of, I'm kind of like, oh, is this going to work out? I don't know anyone, uh, you know, kind of getting feeling a bit lost, maybe a bit lonely or whatever. And then magically every time, every time, 30 days or round about four weeks and everything falls to place and and um, I'm this is great and I love this town and everything's working so uh, again you know you, you want to plan for a minimum of 30 day stay I would say to really find your feet in a place I would I would suggest you know like 90 days uh, would be what I'd really suggest for somewhere else try and find somewhere that's um, don't try and find an optimal place to be bouncing around because that's just way too high friction 
cost a lot of money, find somewhere that's good enough and just really get uh, aim to get like a base or a foothold if this is your first experience of course uh, in somewhere and get to know the people first. And then through those conversations, then start thinking about if you're going to check out some other areas or what your next step is going to be. But that's the first kind of box you want to tick. So speaking to that, you want to get some networks, right? So uh, what you want to try and do is, uh, again, co-working is a really good uh, place for that. So if uh, generally co- uh, if they're not faces and buried in a computer and they're busy working. People that you find at co-working are really, really friendly. Often they've got networking events like Friday, they'll have beers or, or a barbecue or something like that there. And they're a great place to meet new people. The other one that I would really recommend is jump on Facebook and search for um, digital nomads or expats in whatever the city is. Now through that there, almost always you'll find a Facebook group that's relatively active. In that Facebook group, you'll be able to ask questions and find some relatively good information about what life is like on the ground. Ask some things about, hey guys, where do I get this or that? And you'll be surprised about how easy it is to get that information. But what you're really trying to find through there is, uh, generally it's on WhatsApp is where a lot of these groups are, not Telegram or other things, WhatsApp seems to be the one. And the WhatsApp groups are where generally you'll find the highest quality of signal to noise information where where um, you'll be able to ask, you know, hey, where, where's a good dentist? Where do I go for co-working? Where's a good place to eat? All these sort of questions. I like to do yoga. Where, you know, where's a good yoga studio? Uh, and generally, if you ask in the Facebook groups or you just search around the Facebook groups, you'll find a link to one of these WhatsApp groups. And in there, you're going to find the answer to a lot of this information, which is going to save you a ton of time when you get in the ground. The other thing that you want to try and get through those WhatsApp groups or if you can through some of these Facebook groups is any sort of meetups for uh, anything that's related to your interest. So, you know, it's maybe it's a Bitcoin meetup. Maybe you do snowboarding and there's some sort of snowboarding or, or like here's a big one in Mexico. So there's always some like salsa dancing ones, right? So if you're into that, go along to something like that. But you want to find some sort of meetup things. And that the, the idea is to network with people, to make friends, make connections. And it's much more easy than you'd ever believe to find people when you are living this lifestyle. It's totally different from when you live in a traditional sort of setup in a city. People are very helpful and it's very easy to make those connections. And so you want to get those networks, connect with some people, go out to dinner, have some beers and develop those networks. And that's really kind of the, the way to really get a foothold in a new town. Once you've got that, you've got some friends, you've got some connections that can show you where to go for these kind of things there. And quicker than you would think, it's like you're you're living in a town where you've been feel like you've been living here for years, you know where everything is and life is easy and breezy and you can achieve that in 45 days, I would say, if you put your mind to it. Back to the show in a moment. Are you thinking about your security and have you thought about removing single points of failure? Unchained Capital can help you with this with their collaborative custody setup. So at Unchained.com, if you bring two hardware wallets and you set up there, you can create a vault for free. Now, if you need assistance, they've got a concierge onboarding program where you pay upfront, they ship you some hardware wallets, they do a video call with you to get you set up, even if you've never held your private keys before, and deposit $1,000 of Bitcoin in your vault. So this is a great way to get started and improving your security standpoint and giving you potentially some more peace of mind when you need to sleep at night and you're worried that you might not be able to recover or use your coins if you haven't secured them correctly. Well, with multi-signature, you give yourself some room for error. There's a little bit of margin there. So go to unchained.com and use the code Levera to sign up for a discount. And if it's hardware devices you need, my favorite is the cold card. You can get this at coinkite.com. Now, Coinkite have been around the Bitcoin industry for a long time 
in recent years, their focus has been on hardware devices and hardware security, obviously. So it looks like a little calculator. It's a small device and you can either directly plug it to your computer if you're a beginner or if you're intermediate or advanced, get a micro SD card and use that to ferry the information like your XPUB keys back and forth between your cold card device and your computer. And you can use this easily with wallets like Spectre Desktop, Sparrow, and Electrum are some examples. The cold card has all sorts of features. You can use it in a single signature or a multi-signature. And there's also the Seed XOR feature, seedxor.com for that stuff. And now there's lots of features there that you will actually learn about Bitcoin in the process. So order some for yourself or for your friends as a Christmas gift to help them get started on their self-custody journey. Go to coincart.com and use the code Levera for a discount on your cold card. Lend at HodlHodl is a peer-to-peer Bitcoin-backed lending platform. So if you need fiat liquidity and you need to borrow some stablecoins and you would rather do this without selling your Bitcoin and having a taxable event or you just would rather not sell, well, with Lend at HodlHodl, you can do that. So now you can get some short-term liquidity, you borrow stablecoins and you put up some Bitcoin as collateral and you still hold one out of three keys through that whole deal. On the other hand, if you have stablecoins like USDT, you can earn some extra interest by lending those out. You define the terms and the APR for those deals. This is Bitcoin DeFi. So go and sign up at lend.hodlhodl.com. That's lend.hodlhodl.com. Back to the show with Rigel. Yeah, I think that's definitely a good piece of advice around not moving too often. And I think especially in the age of hysteria where you have to do a COVID test before you go to a new country and things, it's like, it's just so much admin because you're figuring out things like, how do I do my laundry? How am I getting my groceries? How am I doing everything, right? And so expanding that time out to give yourself a solid amount of time in each new location definitely is a big one, I think, uh, because otherwise, yeah, you will just spend too much time trying to sort out new things. And remember, we're, we're, what we're talking about here is not just retiring around the world we're talking about you're still doing work right we're still working during the day uh, but also figuring out things in terms of where we're going next and what's happening now there are I guess different situations for people around the world, right? So for example, people from the US, they've got a, quite a strong passport, but one of the downsides for them is they will have to continue paying tax back to the American government, Uncle Sam. Um, and so whereas a lot of other countries are able to, people from other countries are able to retain their citizenship of that other country, but to not no, to no longer be a tax resident of these other countries. So that's an interesting benefit there as well. So people might be thinking, oh, how am I going to make that work? Well, if you are able to become a non-resident, so you might need to speak to an expert on this, let's say an expat specialist accountant or lawyer for your country, and they can potentially guide you on how to become a non-resident for tax purposes, which allows you to legally dramatically lower the taxes. And then that can also help you from a cost of living perspective also. And so I'm curious how your approach has been, or if you have any tips for people thinking around these questions of residency, citizenship, uh, or even tourist visas. Do you have any guidance or tips there for people? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, look, I'd say when you start out, you know, tourist visa is going to be fine. Uh, And generally, you know, I mean, officially and and, uh, practically, these two things are quite different. But no one has a problem going to a place and working out of a, a, a you know their their um, hotel room or a co working or whatever and getting things done and 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 really having to worry about a work visa. Now officially that might be um, you know a slightly different story, but you know I've yet to ever hear someone who's had an immigration officer jump out of a bush and you know, arrest them for working on a laptop in their hotel room. 
Um, so generally, when you know when you're first checking out a place, you know I think that's uh, tourist visa is fine, right? You know, and and if you're new to this and maybe you're trying to figure out if this is for me or it's not for me, that's you know I, I think that's the step you should take. Go to a new place, take a long, you know, I'd say at least a month holiday and check it out. Really give it a good solid go, and probably just do it on a tourist visa. Now. If you are thinking about something more permanent, um, then, you know, I, I think, like in the past, for example, in Bali, you know, I, know, I knew a lot of people who were doing, perpetually doing the visa run thing, right? So in, in Bali, you could get a 30-day visa and, and on arrival, you could pay some money and get what's called a VOA, which allowed you to extend that 30-day visa for another 30 days. After 60 days, legally, you'd have to leave the country. Now, there are people that I knew there who've been doing for like seven years, they would go for 60 days and then they would fly to Kuala Lumpur or somewhere close for 24 hours, come back and get another 60 days and just do this on a revolving basis and they've been doing it for years. Now, it's not illegal. Um, it's definitely kind of uh, maybe stretching the, 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 what the law is intended for. But generally, you know, uh, most people that they knew what was going on, you know, they seem to be, well, hey, if you want to come back with your money and, and support their local economy and, and people, you know, come on in. However, I've seen a lot of things since COVID came in that made me think that those days certainly aren't what they used to be. And, and definitely if you're in a position like, say, yourself, Stefan, or myself, where going home is now difficult and very expensive and uh, your ability to leave might be uh, in jeopardy also, I think you've really got to start thinking seriously um, about a, a more um, uh, credible uh, plan than just bouncing around on a tourist visa. So um, residencies in a place give you that ability where uh, you're not uh, having to fly into a country and and cross your fingers every time that, that you're not going to have some issues getting on a tourist visa. For example, in Mexico, um, they have a 180-day tourist visa, and there is a lot of people that have, um, just like I mentioned in Bali for years and years, been more or less coming and going perpetually using that tourist visa. Just recently, they've had a crackdown where it's not happening to everyone, but it is happening to some people where they're coming in and they haven't got any exit ticket booked. They haven't got any sort of accommodation to, to show for themselves or any sort of thing to justify exactly what they're there for. And so they'd be giving something like 20 days or seven days, right? And, you know, this could happen to anyone if you, all you've got is a tourist visa, right? You're, you're at the mercy of the, uh, the immigration official as far as what they want to let you in for and how long. Whereas if you're a resident, you've got a much more secure claim to being in that place. Um, you can do things like you know, purchase a car, open a bank account if, if you're wanting to go down that route. Um, certainly have like a storage locker or somewhere where you can securely leave your things and so you're not traveling around with everything in a suitcase all the time, which can be a little nerve-wracking in and of itself. Um, but it also just gives you that permanent base and a place where, you know, you're not having to worry about bouncing all around and you can uh, take your time and, and also do things like, say, for example, if you want to go to a conference for a weekend, you're not worried about, well, I've just been here for a week and do I want to invalidate my 180-day tourist visa that I've just got in Mexico and be at the risk of what I've just described as happening before. So um, so I think it's, it's, it's a wise decision to make and also gives you a lot more options as far as where you can live and as you talked about with, with taxes. It's like, for example, for, for me, uh, I have since being out of New Zealand, I've uh, got several residencies. One of them is in a uh, territorial uh, country with a territorial taxation system. And because uh, the way that works in New Zealand is that if you haven't got any kind of permanent um, ties in New Zealand and you're outside of the country for more than, uh, I believe it's 330 days of the year, then you're not liable for taxes in New Zealand. And if you structure your affairs correctly, 
quickly, then you can now uh, pay your taxes in a country where any income that's come from outside that country is tax-free, and so they're effectively, therefore effectively not pay any tax in a totally legal and above-board fashion. So um, that is another really big advantage is that um, to be able to accomplish that if you're working a regular job is, is, is a nightmare, right? You've got to get a, a job in this other location. You've got to fly there and check it out, and it's just not really feasible for most people if you're just working a traditional nine-to-five. But if you're nomading, you know, you're able to kind of experience these places for a while, get to really know some people, get your head around it, would I want to live there, um, and take some time to do this slowly in a progressive fashion rather than having to try and fly over there and do it all the moment that you land. Um, so that's something that I think a lot of people should be looking at for this thing, rather than it just being a way to fly around and work on a tropical beach for two months or something like that. It's a way to shop around and really look of not, not just where do I want to live um, for the quality of life, but what other options can residency and, and uh, looking at things like tax and um, where my affairs are located, what other benefits can that provide to my life beyond purely the quality of life things that we discussed before? Yeah, so I think that's some interesting points there for people to really think about making it work for the longer term. But that said, you can start with the easy option like the tourist visa. And I think that's the other thing as well. People don't have to think like, oh, I have to go all in. Like you can baby step your way into this. So as an example, if you're an American, probably an easy way to get started is maybe you just go to Mexico and you set up a bank account there, right? You just like you start doing the flag theory thing, right? You just take little incremental steps and then slowly, eventually you've you've now got these other options in other countries or other bank accounts or other whatever right and so these are some of the ways that you can manage that now i think it wouldn't it wouldn't be uh, fair of us to talk about all these benefits without talking about some of the downsides so let's hear from you rigel what are some of the main downsides in your view of pursuing this lifestyle uh, well, I mean, as I mentioned, I think uh, dependent on your situation, you know, if you're single, uh, obviously it can be a little lonely and, and a little hard. Uh, you know, I, uh, to me, I'm, I'm quite used to it now. And, and like, I'm someone that, you know, I'm, I'm fine with um, being on my own uh, and, and living that sort of lifestyle. But, you know, I definitely 100% need some social contact and some interaction with people. But again, I think, you know, once you get a system and you get the, the swing of the sort of life, it's much easier to, to, to figure that out. So, so you know, definitely the, the loneliness would be one thing and, and I presume uh, you know if you're there with your partner or your children the opposite problem of sometimes you wish you got the chance to be a little more lonely if you get what I mean so so that, that's that's one of them um, probably the hardest one for, for most people if you're listening to this and you haven't done this before by far it's it's wrapping up your fears and just taking that first step right you know getting on the plane and, and going there and planning this thing is, is going to be the hardest thing to do and look I would really recommend that just as we talked about you know you don't need to kind of sell everything and 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 give it all up at a, hat, a drop of a hat I'd recommend you know if you can you know just uh, get out of your apartment close up your apartment wherever it is put your stuff in a storage locker for a couple of months and and do it like that on a tourist visa check it out and then um, you know you can come back to your stuff and if you've decided this is what you want to do you want to do more permanent all your things are kind of prepped and ready to go and uh, you know if, if not you could just you know pay for your pay for your um your your, your ran or your 
traditional setup at home and just check this out. So, so yeah, I mean, I'd say just take a holiday and explore this first. Um, and once you're ready to go, uh, you know, just put put everything in a storage locker. Maybe rather than sell your car, you want to leave it with your friend or whatever. So you can do it in baby steps. And then maybe you you you, you do it once. You think I like this. I'm going to do it for real. You put everything in a storage locker. Leave your car with your friend. And then after six months, you're like, okay, no, this is what I want to do. Then you can go back and sell your you know, sell whatever it is that you need to sell and really close up your affairs. And you can do it in baby steps like that. And you don't even have to. I mean, you can leave your stuff in a storage locker, do this for six months, and then go back and you know live a, a regular, uh, in quotation marks, life for six months and then go out and do this again, you know. So it doesn't have to be like a, a, a jumping off the deep end experience. You can baby step it into the way that I've described. And um, so that's you know, one way to get around that kind of anxiety. Like I'd really just say, look, just do it for a month or two months and then um, and then if then think about doing it more permanently and if you really don't like it you can just get a plane ticket and fly home and nothing's lost right so, so that's one the, the other one that kind of goes with that is probably for most people is friends or family right you know they've got the people that they know in, in the town they are and you might have lived there for a long time and that's a dawning thing right is leaving your your friends or your family and not seeing them for a while or maybe for a really extended period and um, look you know there's there's no real way to, to, to get around that I mean that it is what it is and they're, they're valid concerns uh, the only thing I would kind of add to that is you know again they're, they're always just a plane ticket away and uh, you know I've certainly found building a you know a whole new uh, friend circle and and uh, network in, a, in another city is amazingly easier than you would expect it to be um, and just that again that the fact that people that are nomading are all in the same boat makes it it's just everyone is, is very welcome and accepting and it's much much easier to start from zero and get back some of those kind of social contacts and, and networks that you need than you would ever expect them to be. I guess the other one, you know, when talking about your things for some people is probably your stuff, right? You know, some people have possessions of all sorts where, you know, the thought of uh, leaving that thing is is difficult or what are they going to do about this or that or whatever. And I certainly had that experience uh, where, um, you know, I decided I was going to do this. It took me about two months to just get through all my, because I had so much crap and stuff that had accumulated over the years. And I sold everything more or less. I think I left like a small thing or so with a friend of mine, but, you know, I sold everything I had. And to me, it's been the most liberating experience of my life to just get rid of all the stuff which I didn't really need. And now everything I have is in a suitcase and everything that I want to buy, I think very long and hard about can this fit the suitcase and if not I don't need it so a lot of these things you know it, it comes down to the, the stuff you have and the people you know and um, they, they don't need to be permanent goodbyes you can't there are ways if you're creative about this and you look around and you jump on Google and do a bit of hunting um, that you can find some ways to um, permanently or semi permanently park the stuff and it'll be there when you need to come back but I'd also encourage people to think long and hard about is getting rid of this, some of the stuff and moving on is that actually what you really want to do is that not going to be a, like a fresh start for your life that's going to allow you an opportunity to to kind of reset and and uh, the things that might be kind of scaring you are in fact things that you should be doing yeah and I think one other obviously we're we're very bitcoin focused here and I think people might be thinking how do I secure my coins if I'm doing this whole nomad thing so obviously without disclosing you know personal details or doxing your own stuff do you have any thoughts on how people can approach that aspect of going nomad while preserving their coins and securing their coins Sure. Well, I mean, without like again giving away my my personal uh, secret uh, methodology, it's um you know there's a lot of ways um, for a start. You know, you don't need to like have everything with you. I mean, 
some people that might be like, yes, I definitely do. But, uh, you know, you, you can always just get a plane back to where this thing is, right? You know, so it's not like uh, you have to think about, just like I talked about with your with your staff, where this is the nuclear option and you must, you're shutting down your life at home. You know, you can still go back to where this kind of stuff is. So that being said, you know, even if if, if you are thinking, well, no, that's not me. I want my 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 stuff on me at all times. Uh, you know, there there is a lot of ways where, um, you know, and I've certainly seen this in my old career when it comes to moving drugs over the borders. If you're creative about um, where, ha- where and how you store these things, uh, there is a ton of ways where you can get around any of these sort of issues, whether it might be to do with um, airport security itself, might be what you're concerned about, or it might be security on the ground about, you know, I don't want to be in a, in a hotel or an Airbnb where someone might have a key and leaving you know, a piece of paper with 24 words on it sitting around where someone who might know what they're looking for might be able to find it. So, I mean, if you're creative about this and you think about it, for example, you know, 24 words is not actually 24 words. If you understand the BIP39 spec, it's actually 24 words that are representative of a number in a list. And so those 30, those 24 words aren't words, they're numbers. And if you were to write down 24 numbers, most people in the world, uh, you know, even people that knew stuff about Bitcoin wouldn't probably see 24 numbers on a piece of paper and realize that this is actually someone's private key, right? So if you take that idea and extrapolate on it, there is a ton of ways where if you're smart about it, you can simply, you know, if we're talking about a seed phrase is what this has really come down to. There's a ton of ways that you can be smart about having this on you or concealing it in some certain way where you know where to get it. And it's, there's not none of this magic where you've written down on some code where you're going to forget it. It's, it's a relatively easy system for you to retrieve, but to the to the observer, they wouldn't know what they're looking for. So, I mean, I, I, I haven't seen any solid answers to this and, or, you know, system for this and I think kind of that would kind of be defeating the purpose where, whereby if we're, it was a system everyone was following while well, someone could find the system and, and unravel it but you know I hope with what I've just said there, you know, probably giving you enough information where, uh, you know, if you get creative about the way that you store these things, there's plenty of ways that you can mitigate some of these issues about traveling with these things on your particular person. Myself, you know, I, I like to have simply one of the simplest ways about it is to have, uh, you know, I, I have some permanent bases now that I have residency, have some, uh, have your keys or your, your items distributed in, in geographical locations. And so generally, I don't even have to worry about that because uh, it's no different than if I was living in whatever country that you're living in where I have this stuff in a place where I can get to it immediately and I don't have to worry about borders or any things like that there. So yeah, you know, I, I, it, it's certainly a concern that you want to think about, but I think if you put your mind to it, it's, it's there's plenty of ways to get around the issues that, you know, that are probably top of mind when it comes to this stuff. Right, yeah. So as an example, people might have multi-signature and keep different keys in different countries or different locations. And then maybe they've just got a small spending amount that they keep on their phone or maybe in some other kind of wallet or hardware wallet that they travel with, but that's not the real stack. That's just a small amount or something. That's one way. Or maybe you might have a passphrase. So you might have those 24 words, but you memorize a passphrase. I mean, there's different ways. I'm just kind of throwing ideas out there for people to think about. And so also with the idea of setting up bases, and if you're trying to set up bases, in other countries how do you think about the question of renting versus buying a yeah it's a different a difficult thing to get your head around and it's something i personally am just trying to figure out right now where um you know i've kind of all these residencies i've got i've acquired post covid and i'm trying to figure out well okay well now how how am i going to live my life specifically what's my kind of ideal um system that i want to have and um you know you don't really want to be renting renting a house in uh, in two locations at once it's just an ideal use of money so um look at uh, 
I think when it comes to buying, uh, that's something which I personally um, am slightly averse to where we're just like, I'd rather have my money in Bitcoin. Thank you very much. But when it comes to um, uh, uh, holding a house, I think that probably the, the most important thing to think about is there are some very lucrative residency options available to you if you are going to buy a property. So uh, a number of countries, you're able to get residency or even citizenship. You are uh, purchasing a property and sometimes the price of that property can be quite modest. So that, that's something to, to think about. And of course, you know, it can be a revenue stream and a way to kind of support yourself. For me personally, I prefer to, I just like to rent and I like to move around because I don't like to be tied to anywhere. And it gives you the freedom to be able to um, kind of change where you're at and, and um, have that agility where if, you know, like I said, if you want to get out of Dodge on short notice, it's relatively easy for you to do so. So, I mean, I think that the, for me, that it really comes down to the, the main reason to own a house, I, I would think, is to assist you in getting another residency and to so be clever and smart about that about if you are thinking about um, part of the way you know the reason you listen to this is that you're wanting to move long term do look at the options that are available to you uh, and what you can get for your money and uh, have, you know for example one that comes to mind straight away is Turkey you know you can get uh, as I understand it um, a passport for a, you know relatively um, uh, reasonably priced house if you buy it in Turkey right now that might change your uh, your Turkey might not be top of your list, but if you throw in a passport and um, you start looking there, that might be somewhere where all of a sudden Turkey starts to become very interesting for you. So uh, I'd, I'd say don't throw away that, um, you know, don't buy the beach house in your ideal location um, just on a whim. Do think about what else you can get in the package for the house that you're buying. But uh, I, I personally, I feel like the, the biggest advantage, certainly when you're starting out, is shop around, man. You know, check everywhere else. Don't rush into getting a permanent tie to somewhere else. Definitely shop around and make sure you really understand uh, where you're going. Because, I mean, this is the advantage of this lifestyle, right? You can you can live in 10 different towns in six months in a place. That would be high friction, but it's possible. And so, you know, you that that's a lot harder to do for most people in a, living a more traditional lifestyle. But as Nomad, you can do that. So, you know, you really have the ability to really shop around and make sure you're before you commit to a property in an area. And I would certainly lose it, use that to your advantage to either um, secure a residency of some sort or to make sure that, you know, you're really sure about where you're, where you're wanting to live and you're not in a hurry to, to need to be tied to anywhere that when you find that place, you really know that this is um, uh, going to be a good investment and it's also going to be a good place to live if you choose to use it for that. Right, yeah, and I think there's so many considerations in that because obviously as Bitcoiners, we believe what is financially optimal is to maximize SAT stacking and minimize the amount of balance sheet uh, assets that you tie up into property. But what's financially optimal might not be security or lifestyle op optimal. And there may be cases where it makes sense to do that because let's say you want to buy the property in Turkey to get a citizenship there or you want to, I think it's 250,000 USD, something like that. I think it's around that range. If you buy a property more than that, you can potentially qualify for citizenship just straight up. And there are other countries with similar kind of deals and packages and things. And so, you know, and maybe some people would do the whole El Salvador thing, right? Three Bitcoin and get a place in El Zonte or in Bitcoin City or San Salvador even. I mean, these are things that people might look for. So I think this is, there's so much to get into here. And personally, I see myself writing and speaking about it a lot more. But I suppose just for this episode, we'll probably tie it up here and, you know, carry on with another episode another day. But uh, do you have any final tips 
for people or reasons why they should really stop and think about this instead of being stuck in their place of birth or the place where they're living right now? Yeah, I mean, uh, if, I, if I was to kind of get opinionated and philosophical for, for a moment, uh, you know, my, my thoughts would be this, is that I think if you look at where the world is going, um, not just because of the, the COVID stuff, because of all the money printing and everything else, we're definitely heading to a world where um, it's going to get a lot more unequal. And one of the areas where it's going to get particularly unequal is the ability to travel and the ability to geographically select where you where you live. And I, and I think um, I don't think it's it's paranoid or tinfoil hat to think that there's also going to be some uh, effort for uh, certain governments to dissuade people from moving or having the option to choose a better geography or jurisdiction to place themselves in. So we've probably all experienced to some degree uh, the 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 feeling that uh, you wish you could have had the ability to be more agile as far as your location in the last two years and you weren't able to and you saw some of the, the downsides of that. So my five cents that I guess I'd want to leave this with is that, you know, I, I think we are heading to a world where this is going to be almost like a two-tiered society of those that can and are able to travel and those that can't for all sorts of various reasons. You know, you may have things that tie you to a place, but but um, being able to have at least one other jurisdiction where, where you know uh, where it is, you can get off a plane and straight away know where you're going to stay, where you're going to eat, have some people to call, um, have some friends, have a situation. And if you really need to move from where you are, you know where that place is and there's not a second thought. You can be on a plane within half a day and on your way there and you're going to the ground running. It's just an incredibly powerful and useful skill to have, particularly for Bitcoiners and people in this particular space there. And look, I just see it as more than something that, you know, the, the, wanting to live the lifestyle of sitting on a beach with your laptop. It's an investment in your freedom and your agility and your mental health to have this kind of backup plan in, in your head where you have a plan B set up. And, you know, you don't necessarily need a password or all these kind of things. You just need to know a place where it functions and have a second home or a second place that you kind of know just as well as you know some city we used to live in five or ten years ago so i you know i'd encourage everyone to take the plunge even for a month or two and just check this out and get used to this sort of thing so that if it becomes more than just a a holiday or something that you do for fun it's something out of necessity that you're ready to go and you have your system in place and you know where you're going and and the whole trip is going to be just much easier for you to to go through Excellent. And Roger, where can people find you online? Uh, probably easiest to just get me on Twitter at Coinsure, C-O-I-N-S-U-R-E-N-Z. Get me the same thing on Telegram as well if you want to catch me there. And uh, yeah, they're probably the two easiest places. Fantastic. Thanks, Roger. No worries. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed the show with Rigel. This is definitely an area that I plan to be writing and speaking more about myself as obviously I'm living that life now. I think it is definitely an interesting question as well uh, around practically how do you achieve this and also how do you compare this to other ideas like say hunkering down into a citadel. So let me know your thoughts and of course the show notes and the transcript will be on the website stefanlevera.com slash 328 for this one. Thanks and I'll see you in the citadels.